Let's turn in our Bibles, please, today to the book of Hebrews. And we are continuing on in Hebrews chapter 6 today. You know, um, not long ago we were, we were looking at Paul's admonishment, or excuse me, the Apostles' admonishment uh, to, to the Hebrews to leave the elementary teachings uh, about repentance and faith and uh, other elementary teachings that they had and press on in maturity uh, to, to the solid beat of Scripture. And I really believe that that is what the book of Hebrews helps us to do because there is so much for us to learn, to consider, uh, within the, the words that we have here. So, beloved, let's stand as we look forward to thinking together about what God's Word will teach us today. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 6. The apostle says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and repentance inherit the promises. For when God made the promises to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that we will never exhaust all that we can learn from it. Lord, open our hearts today and our minds and our ears so that we might hear it and understand it well. May you please, Lord, bless the meditations of my heart on these scriptures. And may it be that you will be glorified and use your word to build us up in our faith and give us that great assurance of our salvation, the hope which we have within us. For it is in Jesus' name we ask now. Amen. Thank you all. Please be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the words of encouragement that the apostle gave the Hebrew believers in chapter 9, or excuse me, in verse 9. Remember what he said there? Take a look. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you the th and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. He had warned them against falling away from Jesus, warned them against apostasy. And he says, we have great hopes for you. We, we know that this will not happen because, my friends, the apostle, the apostle who had ministered to the believing Hebrews uh, being the church there throughout Israel, perhaps it was the church in Jerusalem, they were convinced that none of those who are truly Christ's will ever be able to fall away from Christ. We are convinced of that. If we read the scriptures, we will see that no one who is truly his will ever fall away from him. That's why he could say, we are convinced of better things concerning you. You see? They were convinced because it is not possible for a true child of God to ever fall away from him. 
So they were convinced that they would not renounce Jesus Christ. They would not return to Judaism. In verse 10, the apostle encouraged the believers for something they were doing very well, and that was their works of showing love to the saints. He said, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. But remember, beloved, this came on the heels of a very stern admonishment to them for being lazy and delinquent in another area of their Christian lives, and that was in their studying and knowing the Word of God. Remember what he said in chapter 5 and verse 12. Look back there again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, <coughs> have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You see, he admonishes them here for only partaking of the milk of the word, basically. The milk of the things of God instead of the solid food. For only being babies in their understanding and in their faith and their knowledge of the gospel and all that God has revealed in his word, which he had given them. And then after admonishing them in the last part of chapter 5, he told them what they needed to do in verse 1 of chapter 6, where he said, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. To press on to the maturity in the teachings of Jesus. What would the teachings of Jesus have been for them? As I said a week ago or so, they didn't have the Bible like we have it yet. Now they had the book of Hebrews, right, because the writer of Hebrews has given it to them, but they didn't have the full New Testament like we do, but they definitely had the teachings of the apostles who administered to them over the years. They had the teachings of men like James and John and Peter himself and Matthew and all the other disciples. Even the teachings of Paul, because remember when Paul began his ministry, he was preaching to the Jews until God directed him to go to the Gentiles. But he, in fact, preached to them that Jesus was the Messiah. He told the Jews, helped them understand that. And don't forget, they also had the whole Old Testament, also from which the apostles were teaching them about Christ. Oh, we learn so much about Christ from the Old Testament, don't we? And they, they, even here in the book of Hebrews, there's quotation after quotation of where the apostle is showing them how Christ, who Christ is, who Jesus is from the Old Testament. So they had tremendous opportunities to grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ and of the Christian faith. And then in verses 11 and 12, I think the apostle continues to admonish them to press on to maturity in the knowledge and teachings of Jesus and the new covenant. So look again with me at verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence 
so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. We began this verse last week, but there's just so much here. We'd li I'd like us to look at it a little bit more before we move on. The author is admonishing them, remember, to be diligent, to improve and expand their knowledge of the teachings of Jesus and of the apostles who taught them the new covenant. He admonishes them to give an equal priority, if you will, to the gospel, an equal priority to the teachings of Jesus and the new covenant as they had to their works of benevolence. You see, being Jews, the old covenant was part of their warp and wolf. You ever heard that term before? Warp and wolf? Well, when fabric makers are making a piece of fabric, uh, some of the fabrics go this way and some of the fabrics go this way. Just take a look at your chairs and you'll see that is the case. And that's the warp and wolf, okay? That's the entirety of the fabric. And the old covenant was the warp and wolf of their lives, you see. The fabric of their lives. Because they were raised up in it. The old covenant was wonderful. It was glorious. It was inspired by God, indeed. But it was for the saints before the promised Messiah would come into this world. But now that Jesus, the promised Messiah, had come it had been replaced, if you will, or superseded. It's not replaced. We still love it. We still learn from it tremendously, but it was superseded. Remember Jesus' parable of how it would be the case that in now in the new covenant, it would be like needing new wineskins because the old wineskin would burst with all that is there for us in the gospel. It just can't hold it anymore. It wasn't designed to hold it. There would be a new wineskin for us, you see. Of course, that God would make and give a new covenant was God's plan from the very beginning. My friends, remember from, with me what God said in Jeremiah 31 um, through the prophet Jeremiah. Look there at your sermon helps, if you will. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. In other words, I will give you a new wineskin. And he says, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I had made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel before those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That promise of the new covenant, you see. Now, beloved, there are two reasons the apostle wanted the believers to press on to maturity in the Christian faith in the new covenant. Let's say it that way. I think that wraps it all up the new covenant. Press on. The first reason that the apostles wanted them to do this is so that they would never fall away from Jesus. They would never fall away from the Christian faith. They would never be misled by the false prophets and false doctrines, my friends. We could say it this way, so that they would not fall back into Judaism 
which would be tempting for them. Because remember what he said up in verse 4 of chapter 6. He said this, For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. And secondly, so that's the first reason. He says, mature in your faith so you will never be misled. Okay, but now here is the second reason. It was so that those believers in the church of Jesus Christ would have a wonderful blessing. You know, everything that God calls us to do is going to bless us. And their maturing in the faith was going to give them a wonderful blessing. And you know what that blessing was? It was assurance of their salvation. He says it this way, assurance of your faith. Or excuse me, of your hope. Assurance of your hope. Again, look with me at verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He wanted them to grow in their faith because as a Christian grows in their faith in the word of God, they grow in their assurance of hope at the same time. Hope is very closely connected to faith, my friends. Our faith, what is our faith? Our faith is what we believe, right? And as Christians, we believe the word of God. We believe the word of God, which the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles and Jesus himself spoke. We believe it. That's faith. We believe that everything we have in the Holy Bible was breathed out by God, right? That word inspired. And for the purpose, it was given to us for the purpose that John said that he wrote his entire gospel. Remember what that was? Look at John 20, 31. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, some say that that is the purpose statement of the book of John, but I'm not so sure you couldn't say that it's the purpose statement of the entire word of God. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by and believing you may have life in his name. It wouldn't be a bad purpose statement for the entire Bible, would it? And so, beloved, then, as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of the word of God, here is the gift that God gives us. We grow in the assurance of our faith, okay? And as we grow in our faith, in the faith, the Christian faith, and our faith, we grow in the assurance of our hope so that we are not wondering, am I going to spend eternity with God? My assurance is, yes, I will spend eternity with God. By faith in God's word, beloved, we have the hope that we have a Savior who has paid for all of our sins and that we have been reconciled to God. We have the hope that sin and death for us was destroyed by Jesus Christ. Sin and death both were destroyed by Christ. 
We have the hope of eternal life. Oh, what a great thing that is, isn't it? We have the hope that we have been made a partaker of the divine nature. Because that's what uh, we read in Second Peter. Look there. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. We have been made partakers of the divine nature, you see, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts. And beloved, we have the hope that nothing can ever take us away from this wonderful relationship, union, and communion we have with God. So the apostle says here in verse 11, look at it again, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Again, I want to point out to you, he says he, they were wishing that every one of the people in the church would be to have the same diligence in their pursuit of things of God, okay? The knowledge of God, the word of God, and it is to this end, once again, in verse 11 here, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So we are to be diligent to mature in the Christian faith in order that we might have this assurance of the hope. And there is something else now that we need to do in order to enjoy the assurance of what we hope for, my friends. And that is what we find in verse 12. Look here. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In order to grow in the full assurance of our hope, we are to be imitators of the faithful believers who have lived before us, who have gone before us, my friends. This word imitators... We know what it means to imitate. You know, uh, when, uh, when you say something and someone says it right back to you and they imitate it to you. But the word means follow. In fact, the King James says followers instead of imitators of the faithful believers who lived before us. It says followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Who were the faithful um, uh, and patient believers who he is referring to here? Again, look at verse 12. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. They're people who have been there and done that. They've had faith and they had patience. So who's he referring to? I believe he's most likely referring to the great patriarchs of the old testament you know the author is the author of hebrews is going to really focus in on those great patriarchs in chapter 11 as you all know and there we're going to learn about men like abel and enoch and noah and abraham and sarah and isaac and jacob and joseph and moses and even a woman by the name of Rahab, who had formerly been a harlot, a prostitute, and yet God saved her. 
and we're going to learn about her. And look with me over at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. And let me begin reading there because we're going to learn about some more. He says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will, fa will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness and were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Oh, we've got some fun things to learn about when we get there, my friends. Hey, listen, this is one of the great blessings that we have of Scripture, of reading the Bible, of knowing what the Bible, who's in the Bible. In Scripture, my friends, we have both good examples and we have bad examples. We have so many good examples of real people who had real problems, as real as everything we deal with today, and yet they believed God and they persevered in their faith, and we know that they inherited the promises of God. You know, all we have to do as Christians is to imitate the faithful believers in God who we learn about in Scripture. It makes it very easy for us. You see? And then make sure that we don't imitate the unfaithful people that we also meet in the scriptures. That's all you have to do. Imitate the right ones. You see? But if we will just imitate men like Abel and Methuselah uh, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and Samuel and the heroes of the faith like that, my friends, then you know what? If we will imitate them, we will inherit eternal life as well. We must imitate men like them instead of men like Cain. Or remember, Nimrod would be one that we would never want to imitate. And all the wicked kings, Ahab, okay? There are so many. Uh, this, the scripture gives us so many examples of people you do not want to imitate all the false prophets and ladies i don't want to leave you out here because also there are so many women in the bible that god has given us the story of their lives so that you might imitate them imitate women like Miriam, the mother of moses remember um, Esther, um, Ruth, right? Naomi, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Uh, think of in the New Testament, Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Imitate her. Remember Mary and Martha. Imitate them. And of course, do not, ladies, do not imitate women like Potiphar's unbelieving wife, you know, or Jezebel. Or in the New Testament, Herodias. I was just reading in my quiet time earlier in Matthew about the terrible thing Herodias did. You'd never want to name your daughter Herodias or 
imitate her. The Bible is filled with people for all of us to imitate. And children, listen, you can't uh, think that I'm not talking to you here today too, okay? Because you too should imitate all the faithful men and women that you read about in the Bible as your mom and dads and as you hear the stories about the faithful people in the Bible, imitate them. And just remember this, kids, listen. They were all kids just like you were at one time in their lives. Think of Samuel and David. We know quite a bit about Samuel just even as a baby, don't we? And then as a young child, we can learn about what it would mean for a child to imitate a guy like a, a young boy like Samuel. There's some good lessons there. Or David, he was a young guy when we meet him too, out tending his father's sheep. And then we can think of Miriam. Who was Miriam? Right, Moses's sister. Remember, she was watching over her brother to keep so he didn't get, you know, swept away or something in the current. And then, children, you can also remember a guy by the name of Josiah. He became a king of Judah, and he was only eight years old when he became king. Okay? And so there are so many good examples for you to imitate as well. The question, beloved, is who are you imitating? Who will you imitate? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul told the believers to imitate him. Look with me at your scripture there in 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me, Paul said, just as I also am of Christ. Who is the ultimate one that we should imitate? Christ, right? But Paul says to the Corinthians, be an imitator of me, all right? And not just him, but all the apostles. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians. And you, he says to the Thessalonians, and you also became imitators of us, meaning all the apostles, right, who administered to them, and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When they received the word, even in tribulation, they were imitating the apostles who had been persecuted severely, right? And then we are told to imitate also others in 1 Thessalonians. Look, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God. We're told to imitate the early churches even uh, that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hand of your own countrymen, the Gentiles, that's what he meant there, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. And then, my friends, we see even that we are to be imitators here of God. Look at Ephesians, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We see in Scripture what God is like. This is why it's so good for us to read the Bible. We see what God is like so that we can imitate him, 
You see? We imitate God when we keep his commandments. Right there is uh, keep imitating God because that's his character. So we are seeking to make our character his character. We imitate God when we keep his word in general. And so, beloved, this was one of the reasons that Christ had to come into this world, you see, so that we could see God and be an imitator of him. Again, we have so many examples to imitate. So this makes being a Christian really easy for us. For myself, I know I learn by imitating people who know what they are doing. As a kid, I took piano lessons and guitar lessons both. And I remember um, sitting there with my teachers who were instructing me in piano and in guitar, different things I was trying to learn. And the first thing I would do when they'd give me a new piece of music is I would ask them to play that for me. They'd say, okay, here's a nice, nice piece of music for you. And I'd say, okay, let me see you do it. Play it. Now, you piano teachers in here, you know what I'm saying, don't you? And they'd play it for me, and after they did, then I could go ahead and learn it. And most of us learn the quickest because this is, this is the best way that we learn. Someone shows us the way, and we imitate it. This is what teachers do for us. This is why it's good to have a teacher, because you can learn and imitate. But you know what? My piano teachers especially uh, got to the point where they wised up to me, and they would not play through the music for me. Instead, they would say, you have to learn to read the music for yourself, and they would make me plunk it all out, you know, the timing and the notes and all of that because they knew that it was going to be good for me because I wouldn't always have somebody to imitate, right? They knew that I wouldn't always have that opportunity. But now let me tell you all something. God is not like my old piano teacher who refused to let me imitate her. God is not like that, my friends. He do, he, God wants us instead to learn and to imitate others because he tells us that God does not want us to go out and learn all the mistakes for ourselves. He says, learn from my word. They are examples for you, you see. When it comes to our living out the Christian life, we are told to imitate the believers of old. And beloved, thankfully, we live in a period of history in the world in which we have a tremendous resource of godly people to imitate, don't we? From the Old and the New Testament and from the Reformation, from our day to day, we can imitate one another, those who are living and honoring God. And so look again at verse 12 with me. Back to Hebrews 6 and verse 12. Here he says this, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, beloved, this is very important for us now that we would imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. First, we are to imitate those who had faith. We 
are to imitate those who had a firm faith in God. By faith, what is meant, I believe, is confidence in God. Confidence in what God's, God has said. All right? You know, someone who comes to my mind who had a very firm faith, but was just a little girl? So you kids really think about this with me. It's the little girl that we met in the scripture that we read earlier in 2 Kings, my friends. Remember what we learned about her? I'm going to turn back. If you want to, you can, to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we, we learned about this, this man, captain of the army, Naaman, who has leprosy. And in those days, leprosy, it was terrible. It was a terrible skin disorder where, the, where your skin just basically dissolved. Or I don't know how you would say it, but it was a terrible thing to deal with. And, uh, and so this man has leprosy. And so here's what we learn about this young, this little girl. It says now the, in verse 2, now the Arameans, or the Syrians, as Josh's version I think had it, had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So here's a girl that was taken away from her mother and father, stolen basically, and now she is a servant in Naaman's household. And then look what we learn about her faith in verse 3. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, and then he would cure him of his leprosy. What a faith that little girl had. Can you imagine a little girl having that kind of faith? She had no doubt that the prophet, and who would that prophet have been? It would have been Elisha. She had no doubt that this man, if Naaman would go see him, he would heal him. Isn't it interesting to see a child, childlike faith is so simple. You so there's no doubting about this. She had, remember, she had every reason not to have said anything because she'd been taken captive away from her own mother and father. She had every reason that she might not want to help the commander of the army, of the enemy, of her people. But what does she do? She trusts God. And she had faith in the God that her parents had taught her about when she lived with her parents. You parents can see from this a good example of how important it is that you teach your children, right? Because you never know what could happen. You never know that someone might do the same thing the, Ar the Arminians did and took one of your children away from you. And yet you have taught them the truths of God, you see. The first thing, beloved, we should look for in one who we are going to imitate is faith. And the second thing we must look for is patience. Another word maybe could be endurance. John Calvin said this. He said, look at your sermon helps there. He said, what is meant is a firm faith which has patience as its companion. For faith is what is, for faith is what is chiefly required, but as many who make at first a marvelous display of faith soon fail, he shows that the true evidence of that faith, which is not fleeting, and 
avescent, I hate it when he uses those words, which means their fleeting also is endurance. The idea of patience here, I think, my friends, would be patience in suffering. I think referring to those who in times of trials, they remained faithful to God. Who comes to your mind when you think of someone who remained faithful uh, in times of trials? I, I just thought of Daniel and his three friends, right? The thing that we love about Daniel and his three friends was in times of great trials, they returned, they remained faithful to God. They did not give in to what the, even though it might mean their lives, right? They did not give in. But the idea of patience is also the idea of an enduring faith that continues to the end of one's life. You see, and this is what it said in verse 11, where it talked about the full assurance of hope until the end. And as Calvin said, the evidence of a true faith, my friends, a faith from God is that it will remain in the believer to the end of his life. That's the most important evidence of faith there is. Remember that the apostle spoke of this in chapter 3 and verse 6. Turn back a page there to to chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, but Christ was faithful as a son over the house, over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. He also said this in verse 14, look, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So you see how important faith and patience are. Faith and endurance, basically. Those who will inherit the promises of God are those who have faith and have it to the end. The word for patience is also long-suffering. Y'all have heard that word. In Hebrews 11, the apostle is going to give us a long list of people who had great faith, my friends, and endurance or patience even in the face of tremendous trials. You see, look what Albert Barnes says. Would you read that little with me there? It says, let us follow those who have inherited the promises. They are worthy examples when from their lofty seats in heaven they look back on the journey of life, though to them attended with many trials, they never regret the faith and patience by which they were enabled to persevere. We have most illustrious examples to imitate. They are numerous as the drops of dew and bright as the star of heaven. It is an honor to tread in the footsteps of the holy men who have inherited the promises and honor to feel that we are walking in the same path and are reaching out the hand to the same crown. As we trust in God and then endure hardships and continue to have patience as we await, we are walking in their footsteps, aren't we? Would you agree it's an honor for us to be able to walk in their same footsteps. Living by faith is not always easy, my friends. It can be hard at times, but that's why it is joined here with patience. 
Beloved, by the grace of God and by the continuous power and operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the day is going to come for each one of us who have this faith and patience when we are with the Lord in glory. The day is going to come. We're going to look back on our journey in this life and we're going to be so thankful that we endured, endured, excuse me, we had faith and we endured because we will be at the, with the Lord in glory. Again, let me stress that we must have both faith and patience, okay? We must have faith, you see, because it is by faith that we are saved. And then we must have patience because it takes patience to live by faith. Had you ever thought about this? How important it is that we recognize it's going to take both for us. As the apostle is, is ready to mention um, one of the great examples of a man right now, he's going to, we're not going to get into it here today, but he is ready to mention one of the great examples of a man of faith, and that is Abraham. And um, we're going to be looking at Abraham and his faith next, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, here. Because Abraham had the promises of God, and he had faith. And then he had to have patience, didn't he? This will be the same for us, beloved. We must have patience and wait on God. Remember, Abraham had to wait 25 years for the first promise that God gave him of a descendant. And yet he didn't waver in his faith. But he had to have patience, didn't he? So, beloved, this is what you and I must have. And let me focus for just a moment on the word promise. It says, inherit the promises there in verse 12. Well, the promise, I think, is eternal life. For sure, the wonderful union and communion we will have with God that is unmediated, it will be directly with God. But there are more general promises of God that I think are meant here too. In Kaufman's commentary, he gave a wonderful list of God's promises for us. Would you just follow along as I read that for you? He said, the promises... Because, because remember what we're talking about here. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises, okay? He says the promises include all the wonderful things that God will do for his redeemed. And what will he do? Look, here's a great list. He will forgive people's sins when they accept and obey him. Bless them providentially in the present life. Make all things work together for good on their behalf. Provide the earnest of the Holy Spirit within them as a pledge of eternal life. Comfort them in sorrows. Strengthen them in weakness. Illuminate them in darkness. Make the way of escape in their temptations. Attend them through the dark valley. Raise them from the rottenness of the grave itself. Cover their sins in judgment and administer to them an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom, surely such promises are worth the diligence and patience of faith as enjoined here. 
Wonderful promises, right? Beloved, we must have both faith and patience in all these promises too here. And I'd encourage you to read back through those later, sometime today. Read back through those promises. Here we can really see that faith and patience are twin virtues. You see, maybe you'd never realized or you'd never really thought about how they have to go together. Because, beloved, faith will not serve us unless we have patience. And this is the case because faith will most likely wither away and fail unless we have patience, too. But here's the good news. I want to conclude with this. The kind of faith, the kind of faith that will allow us to inherit the promises of God, the kind of faith that comes with patience is something that God gives us. It's not for us to manufacture. It's not for us to try to concoct. You know, this is something that God gives us. Beloved, thank God for this. You can see this in the question I gave you, another one from the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. Because look what it says about faith. And I'm going to ask you to read this one with me. What is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the Holy that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too, have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. But I want you to notice it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's created this faith that we're talking about, and patience is created in us by the Holy Spirit. So thank God for that, believer. Thank God he does this. So, beloved, let me wrap it up by saying we are to grow and mature in the solid food of Scripture, and then we are to imitate those who displayed faith and patience. May each one of us be diligent to do these things for the rest of our lives. And once again, thank God every day that it comes from him. Depend upon him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you indeed give us all that we need. And even this faith that we're talking about is what you, have, you create by your Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, continually do that for us and for our children so that we will then just imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherited the promises now we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.